Welcome to Public Power Underground, live from the Benson. Public Power Underground is Northwest Public Power's premier infotainment program where we cover public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. This is season three, episode five. The theme of the third season is sustainable new normals. Public Power Underground is for electric utility enthusiasts. And the episodes are on-demand podcasts and videos so you can fast forward, rewind, skip, and watch in between other meetings to make it sustainable. Public Power Underground is work to watch. And we promise it's totally normal to send to your supervisor to send your supervisor the show so they know you're working. On today's show, we've got an Aaron giving us an update on Northwest Power Markets by reading Aaron Reports. BPA's industry economist, Daniel Fisher, joins to discuss product development philosophies. Electric vehicle charging enthusiast and marketing evangelist, Lauren McDonald, joins to talk about level one charging. And in an interesting twist on public power desktop, we'll be visited by communication celebrities from across public power to cover some public power and public power adjacent news. I'm Paul Dockery, the manager of the power department for Patsy and I People's Utility District and the creative director of Public Power Underground, serving as today's co-host. I'm masked up, vaxxed up, tested, and on location broadcasting live from Northwest Public Power Association's Northwest Innovations and Communications Conference. Say it with me now. The Nick opening reception. Uh, joining me live at the Benson is Klotzkin IPUD's own innovator in communications, the district's manager of customer service communications, and assistant general manager, and a prior chair of the Nick, Sarah Johnson. Welcome back to Public Power Underground, Sarah. I am so excited to be here, Paul. It's always a pleasure. It, 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 it seems like a very happening venue. We got uh, a live reception and a live broadcast. Oh, the Nick is always an exciting place to be, and how wonderful it is that we can bring Public Power Underground here live with all of our communications friends. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I listened to a podcast uh, on the way here, and I was laughing at that podcast. We probably aren't going to reach the level of, like, a really high comedy podcast, but we should, like, we should make it somewhere. Right, Karen? We got something here. Oh, oh, speaking of, oh, we'll get I should there. probably actually introduce you, shouldn't I? Joining Sarah and I remotely. Yeah, I'm not in the world not yet. in the audio <laughs> landscape yet, the philosophy I hold very dear. Not yet. By the way, I am uh, going to present at the Nick on Wednesday about podcasts. I need to add that to my speech, the, the audio landscape. Joining Sarah and I remotely, what I'm here but for. also live through the magic of video conferencing, is the office administrator for Public Power Counselor and the editor at large of Public Power Underground, who is accepting the mantle of super producer for today's live broadcast. Karen Heim, give yourself some applause, Karen. Welcome to your second live broadcast. Thank you, thank you, Paul. I'm very happy to be here, although it sounds like you guys are having a lot of fun there. Uh, it sounds like uh, happening. We're, place. we're having fun in the metaverse. We're having fun in the real universe. It's a very happening thing. Everywhere, it's great. Uh, you know, this is the magic of video conferencing, and I'm really hoping it's more like uh, less like Death Eaters magic from Harry Potter, and more like Mary Poppins magic. Uh, it's my vibe that we're that's, going for. Is like it's a good difference to yeah, make. The Mary Poppins magic. We want to draw draw a world yeah, yeah, yeah. and then enter it, right? 
Yes, okay, exactly. Good. Okay, so let's get into the right <laughs> vibe. Let's give us a good drop, Karen. Get us in the right mood to get going. All right, here we go. Ain't gonna mean Bo Jackson building squat unless you can tell how hard we worked on it. You know what I mean? It ain't the execution. That ain't the gift. It's the effort. It's the effort. It's the effort. The effort. It's the effort. Sarah, you got some effort for us? You ready for this? I've got a lot of effort. We ready Thank for? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Go for it. So tell us a little bit about the NIC conference. I, this is my first year attending a NIC because you, our communication specialist, usually represent Class Connect Beauty. What's going on? What's well, going on at this year's NIC? The NIC is the premier communications conference. This is the one to come to. If you can only go to one conference and you're in communications, marketing, energy efficiency, or you just want to learn how to communicate with people better, this is a conference you need to be at. Because we not only talk about how to talk to our external customers, but you need to know how to talk to your internal customers and all of your colleagues. So this one is the conference to come to. We go to different locations. We have industry speakers that on a, just a bevy of different uh, subjects. We have um, also inspirational speakers that just make you want to get back to your utility and change the world. And then the so, best. So you booked Ted Lasso this year? It sounds, I, that's, we got to go change the world. You booked Ted Lasso? <laughs> hey, we will work on that for next year. <laughs> it might be a good theme to have. I'm, I'm thinking we could work on that. I endorse that thing. Oh, Paul would be all about that. that. Yeah, I was like, he supports that for sure. Right? <laughs> and then the best thing about the NIC is the networking. Because not only do you spend time with your colleagues, but you can make lifelong friendships that will last So this is where you want to be. Uh, well, I appreciate it. It sounds like if you want to learn to communicate, you come to the neck. Maybe I should have been coming a while ago so I could have uh, been better at this. But, uh, you know, you get to come and bring it back to us. So thanks for that. Are you ready? Are you ready, Sarah, to actually dive into Public Power Underground? I am ready. Let's go. Okay. We're going to start this week, like most weeks, checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Aaron Report. Aaron Reports this week. We're joined by a special live guest performance performance of Aaron Reports in their first appearance on Public Power Underground. Please welcome the communications and marketing manager for Roseville Electric Utility and guest star for Aaron Reports, Aaron Fry. Aaron, welcome to Public Power Underground. Thank you so much for having me. Are you ready for this? Do you know what you're getting into reading Aaron Reports? I don't. I tried to do my homework. They're big shoes to fill, but I do my best. Yeah, I'm very confident in you. The vibe and, and the, the, the really the aesthetic we're going for and the Aaron report Aaron really pulls off is like the early morning radio, like corn prices, hog prices. Like if you've ever listened to country radio in the morning and gotten your market reports, livestock reports, that's what we're going for. So take it away. Let's see how you do, Aaron. All right, I'll do my best. This is Aaron Reports with Aaron Reporting, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest Market Indicators for October 11th, 2021. I'm Aaron Fry, and I've got your market update for the week. October through September flows at the Dallas for Water Year 2022 are currently forecasted to be 90% of normal, and April to September is at 94. Outflow at the Dallas piked over the past week at 140.7 kcfs on October 8th at 2100 hours. Day-ending elevation at Grand Coulee yesterday, October 10th, was 1,284, and peak outflow this past week happened October 8th at 8 a.m., when it reached 135.9 kcfs 
Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery October 11th is at $62 with gas at $602 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $19.87 and a heat rate of $10,300. In term markets, balance of month for mid-C is now at $70.05 per megawatt hour. Mid-C power for December 2021 is at $93.90, down from $104.65 last Monday. December gas at Sumas is trading at $7.65, translating to a heat rate of 12275 Taking a look at fish counts at Bonneville Dam, 175 steelhead passed through yesterday. Chinook and coho salmon counts continue to exceed preseason forecasts. 201,668 coho and 339,387 Chinook have crossed Bonneville so far this year. Spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority, peak load this past week was 7,010 on October 8th at 8.20 a.m. During load's peak, hydro generation was at 8,000, wind gen was at 75, conventional units were at 1,237, and nuclear was at 1,164. All those units in megawatts. Enzo for July, August, September period sits at negative 0.5 oceanic Nino index. The multivariant Enzo index for August, September is negative 1.41. And the SST consolidated Nino forecast indicates that we're likely to remain in La Nina through spring 2022. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the 6, 10, 6 to 10 day forecast has temps in the normal range for the region. Precipitation is expected to be above normal for the western side of the region and near normal to slightly below normal east of the Cascades. Their 30-day and 90-day reports haven't been updated since last episode, but expectation remains for temperatures in the normal range and a chance of above-average precipitation. A special thanks to Ansergy for letting us use their dashboards for air and reports and Aluji for collecting and compiling the data. That's all we've got for this update. Give her some applause. That was awesome. Knocked it out of the park. Where's the applause, Carrie? You got some for me? That was really awesome. Look, knocked it out. Give me some barbecue sauce. You really hit the bullseye there. There you go. Aaron, have, have you ever Sorry, felt the need my barbecue to, like, sauce. to like be on the radio? Because I feel like you knew how to do this, and you really nailed it. I, there might be some radio in my background. <laughs> Not something uh, I Secrets come something, out. Something I could tell. That was great. Uh, if you ever want a job in a power department or a power supply, you know who to talk to. we got to find you a role. You can dive into all these numbers. You read them. Just so, so good. So good. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. That was great. Thank you. Okay. So that was Aaron Reports. And... <laughs> Next up is our walkthrough of public power and public power adjacent news in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. I'm going to read the first news summary while Sarah gets our next guest situated. Are we ready? Give me some typewriter, Karen. Give me some typewriter. You got that typewriter? Ah, it's nice. Several electric... Ah, several electric service providers in the West are in the early stages of exploring the potential for a staged approach to new market services, including day-ahead energy sales, transportation system expansion, and other power supply and grid solutions. Even though the collaboration is informal, the membership has a name, the Western Markets Exploratory Group, or WAMAG. 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 
uh, something like that. The entities currently in the group are XL Energy Colorado, otherwise known as Piesco, Arizona Public Service, Black Hills Energy, Idaho Power, NV Energy, Pacific Core, Platte River Power Authority, Portland General Electric, Puget Sound Energy, Salt River Project, Seattle City Light, and Tucson Electric Power. Many of the entities are currently participating in or preparing to join KISO's Western Energy Imbalance Market. All the press releases note that WOMEGS, MEGS, WOMEGS, WOMEGS, we'll go with WOMEGS. I like WOMEGS. What do you think? You like that, Karen? <laughs> WOMEGS. I like Womags. that. I hope every person who says it has the same emphasis that you do. Yeah, well, well that, that's part of this medium is we get to influence how people pronounce stuff like <laughs> WOMEGS. Uh, discussions. Will, did you ever think you'd be an influencer? No, I did not at all. Zero uh, percent chance of that. <laughs> will not impact participation in or evaluation of those markets in the short term since they're focused on long-term market solutions. We found the news thanks to friend of the underground, Matthew Shretnik, who shared Pacific Forest news release. Thanks, Matt. You can also find coverage on Clearing Up by Steve Ernst. Please, all the links will be in the show notes. Sarah, who do we have joining us? Joining the underground live at the Benson is a communications specialist at Clearwater Power Company out of Lewiston, Idaho. And the past, the immediate past, Nick Chair, Jeff Marshall. Jeff, welcome to Public Power Underground. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Jeff, do you have... Oh, love it. Love it. We got some applause coming from all over. Yeah. It's just all yes. around us. Everybody's Everyone. watching us and applauding. It's so good. So... <laughs> That's good. Thanks, Very Karen. authentic. So, uh, Jeff, do you know what you're getting into, and have you ever wanted to be part of a power department? You know, I I rarely know what I'm getting into until it's until uh, I'm done. And then I can, and then I can look back and uh, I am you know I am part of a power department. I think. No, I, I love I love where your head's at, and uh, I love that your communication people <laughs> is in the power department. Uh, there is no communication people that report to me at Classic uh, Community. Uh, that is a job uh, for Sarah. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, you got some news for us. Let's see. Let's see how you do it. What's the news? I do. Well, this was. I thought this was interesting. Um, Dan Cashpole reported on Seattle City Light and Power's renewable hydrogen research project in a recent edition of Clearing Up. The goal of this project is to learn more about the siting and design for a scalable hydrogen fueling station. The study, which has a $1.5 million budget, received $1.35 million grant from the H2 at scale. This is an initiative uh, by the Department of Energy intended to help advance affordable hydrogen production and emission-free power. The production of hydrogen takes a lot of energy. However, SCL believes that it is an important start to studying the potential now so it can successfully replace fossil fuels and help decarbonize many industries like freight trucking and the maritime industry. If you want to learn more about that project, you can visit Clearing Up's website where you will find the article titled SCL Port of Seattle Launch Renewable Hydrogen Research Project. I just want to say thanks to Luigi Jolene for summarizing that article. Thanks to Dan Catchpole, great, well-reported article. I feel like you have thoughts on this, Jeff. What do you think about hydrogen at scale? H2 at you scale. Know, H2, you know, I think the scale is the key because hydrogen-powered vehicles have just not taken off. Uh, I want to say that the traditional electric vehicles, lithium-ion-powered vehicles, uh, have outsold hydrogen fuel cell vehicles by, I think, a thousand to one. Uh, it's it's not looking good for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles 
as we think of a family car. Uh, and the big problem with that is that it's hard to get fuel. Uh, there's no hydrogen station. You can't get it at home. You can't get it at the grocery store. So it's just really hard to see any market transformation there. However, however, there's a whole different crowd of vehicles that have very designated routes, like shipping container vessels, trucks, uh, rail cars, places that you know exactly where you're going to start, exactly where you're going to finish, and exactly how long you're going to operate in between. So for that market, it actually makes a lot of sense to go with hydrogen because you can plan for it. Like they said, this is about siting and design. This isn't about yeah. getting people to drive hydrogen vehicles. It's about siting and designing the infrastructure for, for that. Like ferry routes in the Puget Sound, right? This seems like a really good project for our friends exactly. at Seattle City Lights to engage in because it just goes back and forth. Well done, Karen. That's got, got <laughs> very TikToks. We have any TikTok soundboards? I don't think we have any TikToks. I still think no, we do. No. Yeah. I think I think I think it's a really fun project. I'm really glad. They are going out and getting grants. Sarah, you do some of that for Plastic Night Beauty. It can be a very laborious process. And then you want to win the grants. Uh, any thoughts on what it takes to win a grant like this? It would take a lot. It's, you're going to have to have a real individual plan that just stands out to make it special. And I agree with Jeff and, and both Paul that it's not really feasible for residential, but there's a lot of potential in the markets for long haul and the ferries, I think, is an excellent idea. Seems It seems like it's just a great concept and really yeah. hope that they can get a project off the ground. So great. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff, for stopping by. You're now an honorary friend of the underground. Smash the right. subscribe buttons on all the various <laughs> platforms and keep listening. Smash those buttons. Smash yes. all of them. I, I assume you know how to go on a podcast app and find Public Power Underground, right, Jeff? I, I, I'll tell you. You know, I'll tell you. Podcast apps actually... It did take a little learning curve for me. I finally got there, but I was about seven or eight years late. Okay, well, as long as you're there now, yes. you're there now, you can find us and hit that. And then give us five stars and just write a nice little comment. You know what? Be like, hey, Sarah was a great guest host. You should have her back on more. It's a great comment. I fully endorse nice, it. Nice, I Maybe like I'll it. Maybe I'll do that afterwards. Yeah, it's great. Okay, Eric, give us, some, give us some typewriter. Let's make it on to the next one. Thank you, Jeff, for coming. Thank you. The Northwest Power Pool announced on October 4th that it has achieved buy-in from enough participants to move its development of the Western Resource Adequacy Program into a non-binding implementation phase. The non-binding phase of implementation will be supported by SPP, who's been hired as the program operator. The scope of SPC services as a program operator will include performing forward-showing functions, modeling and system analytics, real-time operational program development, continual technical improvement, and IT systems work. According to the news release, there are 20 participants committed to the program's next phase, re representing 57,300 megawatts of load spanning nine states and one Canadian province. For more, you can follow the Western Resource Adequacy Program, otherwise known as the RAP, uh, as friend of the underground, Jumaira, very well articulated last time, on Northwest, Northwest Power Pool's website, or read Dan Catchpole's outstanding reporting on the Clearing Up's website. Again, links in the show notes. 
and to talk more about product design philosophies and how evolving markets might impact the next Bonneville product is the wonderful, talented, and engaging industrial and industry economist. I found that title on his LinkedIn. It is a great title, industry economist and power services rate design and implementation group for Bonneville, Daniel Fisher. Hey, Daniel, welcome to Public Power Underground. Hi, Paul. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I have a little bit of a suspicion that you don't know what you're getting into, like just a little bit. I, I think you're right. So let's just, yeah, let's plan on that and uh, be nice to me. Okay. I'm, uh, I have hundred uh, percent, nothing but respect over here from you and your colleagues at Bonneville. I love the work y'all do. Very excited to talk to you about product design. Got to warn you a little bit though. Crystal Ball came on and she talked about fish. I know nothing about fish. Don't, don't really have, like, I'm just here learning. Unfortunately, when it comes to product designs for power supply agreements, especially, I have thoughts. So you don't get all of the great like ignorance on the other side that crystal ball, you just have, it's still ignorance, but, but less ignorance. Perfect. That means we're gonna have a good discussion. You know, I've been doing this a long time, so I clearly have a lot of thoughts on these things as well. So let's, let's talk about it. That's why I'm so excited to have you. So I am, I'm working through this philosophy of product design. So like I said, there's still ignorance on my side, but is it's like, it's at least a growing interest. And part of this philosophy I'm evolving to is that for entities like Bonneville and Klatsk and I, the utility I work for, who have this like statutory obligation to recover our costs and provide uh, cost-based services, um, that part of the, the efficiency we can bring and the value we can bring to our customers is the product design and the design of our products and services. And that is how we can both improve our own competitiveness as a utility, but also like provide value to our customers. And I and through this evolution, um, since I last talked to Roger Gray on here, is this concept that I build in, which is also the providing the right product symbols and pricing symbols so that the constraints align is also an area that can make this a more efficient product uh, to be developed and the services to be developed. So making sure the physics of the system are reflected to make sure the constraints of the system for a utility like ours to make sure our cost pressures are reflected in our rates can make it more efficient for both us and our customers. So that's it. That's the kind of philosophy I have. You also have a lot of thoughts on these types of things. So I'm hoping you can come share some of your thoughts and maybe I can continue to refine my philosophy on this stuff. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I think I, I completely align with everything you just said. Like a lot of your constraints, Classic uh, 9 and Bonneville, we're, we're playing in the same box, the same sandbox. And that's, you know, we, we have to sell our power at cost and we only have so many tools that we can, we can use. Rate design and product design are one of the greatest tools we have. Uh, we're going to be subject to costs outside of our control. So it's really important just from an equity standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, from all, from a lot of different aspects, just as an economist, it makes sense to tap where you can, uh, and connect your product design, your rate design to where cost pressures are. So you can at least have efficient behaviors and, uh, it, absolutely. That's what we're trying to do. And, and our biggest constraint is, uh, at the end, we have to meet pay, pay all the bills. We got to recover our costs and, and nothing more. That's, that's, that's the, our, the same. We're, we have this same, like same that's goal, it. same goal. Yeah, not trying right. to make a profit, just trying to recover my costs. That's right. Well, let's do it efficient and not waste money. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's absolutely true. So, um, 
completely aligned with you on that one. Um, and actually, I think that's a lot what the TRM, tiered rates methodology and the regional dialogue contracts did, right? It was, it was trying to figure out what's an efficient way that we can send price signals. Uh, equity is huge uh, among publics. Uh, it's huge for Bonneville. We, we like equity and the fact that it, it makes it so our products and, and services that we offer have longevity. So durability, um, longevity, durability, very, exactly. Yeah. It's so important in the end, you know, everybody, uh, I know everybody wants to get a good deal, but what people really hate is when somebody else is getting a better deal than they are. So, right. So if everybody's getting the same deal and, uh, you know, is equitable, then, you know, that's why I think we've had such great success underneath the TRM and regional dialogue, because I think we've got it a lot right. That doesn't mean we can't make it better, but we've got a lot right. So Good. yeah, talking about uh, some of those constraints, though, that we have, uh, and I'll just list a couple of things, constraints and things to consider, and then we can touch them a little bit more. But uh, one is, is a rate shock. Rate shock is something that we've got to think about. And it's in the end, uh, it's important to understand that no matter what we come up with for the post 2028 contracts, it is going to be measured and tempered by what people are paying today, the current rate design. When we, I know you're looking at me kind of, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but we can come back on this one. Okay. We can come uh, back on this. No rate shock. That's first. Okay. No rate shock. And okay. in the end, every GM is going to have to go to their board and they're going to say, why should we sign this contract? What are you paying for your power today? What are you going to pay for underneath this new rate design? And if there's a big change, my guess is they're probably going to have a hard time convincing the board that they need to sign that contract. That's how it was when we went from subscription to regional dialogue contracts. Um, so we can put on our creative hats all we want, but if you create big winners and big losers and not a way to avoid that, you don't get contracts signed. That's my experience. Okay. The other one is sure. trust. Yep. <laughs> Trust the co-authorship. So, I, you know, I see a lot of people starting to think uh, about these contracts and uh, getting the creative juices flowing. And I think that's excellent. And uh, just let you guys know when the regional dialogue and TRM contracts were done, we did them as a team. So if, as you know, Jeff Carr is the one that nominated me to come on to this podcast. Thank yes, he did. yes yeah. he did. Yes, he did. And part of the reason why is Jeff Carr and I were shoulder to shoulder working on, you know, the TRM. We did not do it in our silos and we didn't battle it out for, for the most part, you know, the same way as you say in Classic 9 sets their rates. Uh, we, we're on the same page. We're just trying to figure out the best way to solve it. There's some debates to be had, sure. But in the end, uh, we're nine times out of 10. It's just trying to come up with something that works the best for everybody. So we can partner there. And in the end, it will be something that we have drafted together. Okay. It's uh, so that's something to, to trust. Um, trust the co-authorship. That's number two. Yes. No rate shock. Trust the, trust the co-authorship. Yeah. We're coming back I'm, on the no rate shock. Just a reminder. Yeah. Yes, I know you're, you're just chomping. Uh, uh, avoid unnecessary uh, complexity. So that's so you don't have to say anything else. It speaks for itself. Avoid unnecessary complexity. Okay. It does. But, you know, so Bond Bright is, uh, is, he's famous for coming up with rate making principles and he I says got, simplicity. I got a copy. I it's got a there. Copy. Oh, yeah. 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 Those are hard to come by. Keep it. Uh, it's hard to get them in paper print anymore, but, uh, so simplicity is very important. I find when we often create things at Bonneville with our customers, simplicity might never get a spot at the table. So, um, and this is something that, uh, Mike Dean said, and I, I laughed because I thought it was funny, but, uh, and there's a bit of truth to it, but it says we like simplicity, but we like equity more. Okay. And I laughed. Yeah, I think that's that's funny. I think there is a good take. Um, I do think uh, the complexity that I see in that is when we start creating many different products. And so I do think that we should create some really rock solid products 
um, and not start trying to deviate off of those. That's where the, that's okay. really where the complexity is. So, okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, uh, allocate costs and credits. We can do that. Uh, we cannot allocate the system. So what a lot of people might not realize, the finest, our, our lawyers always make sure we say this right. We tiered our rates. We did not tier this system. And if you have rate design solutions, you can do way more. And if you're just allocating costs and credits, you can do way more than you can if you're actually allocating the system. If you're allocating the system, we run into all sorts of other Trump problems. That yeah. doesn't mean... Go ahead. No, I think this this number four is something I need to internalize because I do bust my head and I feel like I'm going to give myself brain damage if I keep beating my head against like the single system mix idea, which I, I just can't. Like, I don't understand it. And maybe the answer is I just got to quit beating my head against the wall on that topic and just think in terms of allocate the costs and credits, not the system. Yeah. I think that's something I need to internalize. Yeah. And I think just it's figuring out how we can do it, because I think we can actually accomplish quite a bit with rate design, um, yeah. like the slice product, right? It mimics the system, but it's not an allocation of the system, right? Okay. So um, anyway, so that's that's something to think about. If it's dictating operations, if it's changing Bonneville's accounting standards, you're down the wrong path, bring it back to rate design, and we can do a whole lot there. Okay. Um, the other, th uh, another one is limit uh, or charge for it. So that's what we did in the TRM. We either limit, uh, it normally comes down to capacity or energy. So uh, in these future contracts, the idea is either limit the amount a utility can take of something, whether that's energy or capacity. And if they can't, make sure you charge your marginal cost for whatever they take in excess of, of whatever they need, you know, whatever okay. they need. So something to think about. Um, and then the last part is something that I just, I want people to really understand. Uh, it's so important, which is, Limited off-ramps and longer contracts are actually just as much as a protection as it is a constraint. So it's something to think about. It you're you're protecting Unpack a little bit. Unpack that one a little bit. Okay. So uh, when you have off-ramps, the biggest one is not. We have seven thousand average megawatts of system, right? The likelihood that everybody's going to be able to leave Bonneville, I would say, is slim to none, right? So when you have the ability for some of the utilities to leave Bonneville through an off-ramp or through short contracts and they just don't renew the contracts, what you end up doing is you end up leaving a smaller, or potentially a risk is that you leave a smaller subset of people with the same system to cover, uh, you know, less people paying for the same size system. And so in the end, it becomes a race to see who could get out the door first. If, if something bad were to happen financially people want to leave or someone gets a great deal sweet deal from power x or or some other provider uh it becomes a race to see who gets out the door but i know almost with certainty not everybody's going to be able to leave right so that just means there's more people there's less people paying bonneville's costs which is just it's it's not good it's uh public power is better together and so um in the end uh i i I strongly believe that longer term contracts and limited reasons to leave Bonneville or be able to get out of the contract early actually protects our customers as much as it constrains them. Okay. I think we're going to have to talk about more uh, okay. on that because I, I, I'm, I'm kind of seeing your frame of reference, but I'm not sure. I guess it's, it's the dura it comes back to durability and the durability of the yeah. agreements and making sure that yeah. you can account for different market conditions. Because right now, if you told me like, there's going to be an, a, a runaway from Bonneville, like it's a little bit of a question of like, where are you going to go to? And 
aren't there going to be parties to come back, Phil? Because it seems like given the the just the fundamentals of the system, it's a massive, beautiful storage facility with, you know, very limited carbon emissions. The majority of it, the entire base system is carbon free. Um, that There's a lot of people that would come pay more uh, in all likelihood than it cost. So the people that were left would probably just have, uh, you know, above market or above cost sales to offset it. But certainly there, there yeah, is and the durability and we got yes. planned for other stuff keep going go ahead exactly yeah and and that's not the world i'm concerned about it's okay. not the world that i can sell it to somebody else for the same price or more what i'm worried about is a situation that we just had where people are potentially buying market purchases that i would say i would argue aren't comparable products but they're buying that leaving uh you know uh, i would say a pre premium product and then we can't sell the premium product for a premium price because it's in the short term market. You know, Bonneville's going to do best when we can sell things for longer term horizon. No yeah. rate shock. Okay. So I have this thought. I have this concern. I don't know. Um, but it's a philosophy that we don't have preference to a product. We have preference to Bonneville power. We don't have preference to slice. I'm a slice block customer at Klatsk and I. You don't have preference to load following cost, uh, the load following product if you're a load following customer. And I'm a little concerned that this no rate shock philosophy embeds some preferential access to your existing product. That for instance, if there is a lot of slice customers that are interested in moving to load following, but that would cause rate shock for some reason, hypothesizing once again, uh, not the base case, but in a possible world on load following customers that in some ways it would limit that option. And my philosophy is we don't have preference to a product. We have preference to Bonneville, federal power. Right. And and I, I know I'll just say we want to have products that work for our customers, right? So we, we're not going to like cram down products that people don't want. So we right. got to make products that work for our customers. Um, and then of that, you get a selection. I, you know, I don't, I don't see that situation that you raise as causing a problem. And this is why the customer got something different. The slice product and the load falling customer product are different. You will pay more generally for the load falling product uh, because it's bringing more capacity it is meeting your load obligation and not putting it on you to go either make your own secondary sales or to meet your capacity requirements so you've changed the nature of the product in that situation you've you've actually so yes uh you got a more premium car i would say uh and so yes the price will be more but you're also getting something different so i, I guess another way of saying this is let's say a product is like a is a collection of fruit let's just say that like a basket of fruit right okay, we're gonna, each product okay and there okay, are trout we, and there are salmons are you doing no, this are there five different no, types just, of fruit okay. i'm an economist i love apples and fruit so okay. we're going to stick with fruit so okay. a product is a collection uh, uh as a basket of fruit and the idea is we want to make sure every banana every apple and every orange are priced the same and so the idea is when you make your product you're just selecting the fruit you need to make your basket of which will one person's basket maybe be more premium or cost more than the other? Yes, they will. But at the same time, you're getting uh, a different product. They're not comparable, right? So when you said slice versus load following, I'm comparing two different groups of fruit. Some maybe are more nutritious. Some are like more desired. Point is, is that uh, I want to make it so that if, our, if we've done well with our rate design, 
all the fruit are of the same, are priced the same, and the product is just collecting which fruit we need to make the, you know, the attributes of the basket we want. So uh, I don't think we'll have that situation that you I, are mentioning. I think you will be successful in developing equitable products. I think that there, in similar way, you mentioned that equity can be in conflict with complexity. I think the no rate shock can be in conflict with equity, because I don't, I think we have to be careful about what the base case is. The base case in my frame of reference is not the product as defined under the regional dialogue contract. Market conditions have changed. Our, the, the world of 2028 is different than the world of 2006 and 2007. And the base case that you're comparing to in these product designs is not the product that we were that got developed in 2008, which was in a different market system. That that if you're trying to develop products that won't have rate shock uh, post 2028, and comparing it to a product that that did not reflect the market conditions, don't reflect the market conditions. So you're using the wrong base case, and I I do worry that it does limit in some ways the the making sure you are sending the right price signals and the efficiency. I don't, I, I am very confident in our ability to, to develop products and services that don't have that issue. Um, but for me, the no rate shock in some ways is, is limiting yourself in a way that is a, is a, in, is a constraint that can lead to inequities. Yeah. So, and again, when I say no rate shock, uh, I'm with you in the fact that we want to design the most efficient products we can. That I just I'm I'm aware of the idea that if someone's going to start paying a whole lot more for to meet their load, let's just say their load hasn't changed. So when they cross over that contract line, uh, we're serving the exact same load, and the price just went up a lot. It's going to be hard for them to sign that contract. That's it's just a reality. So I do think, and and I think. The good news is the TRM went a really long ways into like getting us into the right direction. So energy is the load shaping are at the, the marginal prices, right? So we've done that. Uh, the, the demand rate is at the long run marginal cost. It's, it's close to $10 a kilowatt month. So we've, yes, we did grandfather a, a decent amount of um, demand at the, uh, you know, in with that product, but we did that for the sole reason of we couldn't double someone's rate. So we've come a long way. Um, I just know that we have to be aware of what we're doing financially when we change our rate design, or you're just going to lose, you're going to lose uh, support for whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think that's probably very wise. And I'm probably not making any friends by pushing against it because it's just, it's just the right thing to do it. I suspect in a lot of instances. Yeah. So um, it's great. Um, anything else that we need to talk about when it comes to product design before I let you go or anything else you want to pitch or talk about? I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I really do. Let's just go back to like the trust, the co-authorship. I do think, you know, some of the most exciting times of my career starting was the, the back and forth that we had with, you know, public power, sitting down, you know, bringing our spreadsheets, getting people to you, Mike Dean, um, everybody just down who wants to play with product design and start looking at the rate impacts together. We are trying to solve the same problem. And I do think that provided recovering our costs and, uh, it's, it's legally sustainable. Bonneville is, is, you know, right there with you and we'll probably support anything that, that, uh, we all come together with. So anyway, let's, let's do that. No reason to be adversarial at this point. Let's have nope. some fun. Let's, let's create a great rate design, create products and, 
Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's be successful together. Let's do it together. That's great. Okay. Thank you for coming on and thank you for being a friend of the underground. We're going to have you back. Hopefully. I hope. I don't know. We'll see what Joel Scruggs thinks after this one. Uh, uh, Really appreciate it. And please, are you willing to come back? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I have to ask my people. Maybe Joel's like, never again. No, we're going to keep you in the building. You're too big of a star. He can't keep your star contained. You're too big of a star. Way too good. (laughs) Oh, that was me rolling my eyes. All right. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now back to the underground for news. Thanks to Daniel for agreeing to drop by. One note to clean up, okay? I I feel like I am going to lose some friends because of that interview. But I want to say, I don't want rate shock. <laughs> Nobody wants rate shock. I, I support this as a goal for the next contract. I actually think lower costs in the next contract should be a great goal, too. Let's not lower. Let's provide products and services that could lower our average cost for the contract. Very much agree with that principle. What I want to highlight is that having a principle for product development Uh, of no rate shock starts to embed the status quo in the path forward. And I don't think that does the process justice. Wanted to clean that up. I want to keep my friends, but also like I have opinions and you're going to have to live with my opinions if we're friends. And I am more than willing. And I think the conversation with Daniel will will support this to have productive conversations respectfully with people I disagree with and still be friends afterwards. Daniel, I hope you're uh, willing to be a friend with me. Give me a typewriter. We've got to get to our next guest. Sarah, who do we have joining us now? Joining the Underground Live at the Benson is the Communications and Government Relations Manager for PUD number one of Kalalum County and our 2021 NIC Vice Chair, Nicole Hartman. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to Public Power Underground. Hi. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to meet you, Nicole. Uh, this is, I hope you, this, this is a very intimate, uh, like, way to introduce you to me because Public Power Underground is, like, in some ways, like, a little, like, <laughs> it's a toddler at this point, which, you know, you have a rough relationship with toddlers sometimes, but ultimately, it's a great deal of care and love. So, like, you're meeting my toddler, Public Power Underground, uh, for the first time. So, I hope, I hope you're gentle with me, Nicole. Well, like toddlers, they're adorable, and that's what makes it good. Uh, exactly. They, they also you know, can be annoying, and, and it's still, it doesn't, like, we can be annoying, too. I understand that. You get emails. No, it's no, fine. It's great. Sense. It's great. Okay. Uh, what kind of news do you have for us, Nicole? What do we got this week? Uh, you ready for me to go with us? I'm ready for you to go. If you All are. right. So, here we go. Mino Carbon Corporation is proposing to site a new concept in carbon sequestration in Port Angeles, Washington. The project would create biochar, a stable, solid form of charcoal produced by pyrolysis. The project would use approximately 190,000 dry tons of forest slash, sawdust, and hog fuel as feedstock each year. The process would convert the feedstock into both biochar and energy. Power output would be approximately 8.5 average megawatts, according to the company's presentation to the Clallam Economic Development Corporation's executive director. The news came to us through the Energy News Digest, which everyone should subscribe to, and the report can be found on myclallamcounty.com, and of course links are in the show notes. Yes, links are in the show notes. Great, great addition there, Nicole. Thank you very much. So, first of all, we all agree that everyone should subscribe to the Energy New Digest, right? Everybody here subscribes. You subscribe, right, Nicole? It's great. I subscribe, and I listen to it through Spotify. Oh, nice. Okay, so, uh, second question. 
a friend of the underground, Karen Heim, did inform me that the city of Port Angeles serves Port Angeles, not Collin County PUD, which was a great clarification that I'm glad she made before you showed up. But do you know something about this project? And is it's around you, right? Have you talked to these people? Yes, I've seen a couple of their presentations, and uh, they're actually presenting at my Rotary Club this Friday. Um, although they will be located, sited in the city of Port Angeles, they're looking at possibly bringing 50 jobs to the area, and we're working possibly with both them and Pacific Northwest National Laboratory as far as who might be taking their output, and there's a possibility we could even be uh, utilizing um, them as a form of RECs. Oh, that's awesome. Is this uh, that, that you can use these as some sort of rec compliance mechanism as generation? That's really cool. So we're exploring all the avenues there. That's that's really neat. It sounds I've never heard of biocar before this article. It's just they're making pellets of carbon. And can I use those in a pencil? Do you think this is a substitute for lead pencils? I think it sounds like a great alternative. Yes. <laughs> Re <laughs> reuse and recycle. Recycle, reduce, there you reuse. Go. Uh Thank Paul, come up with so many ideas. Just on the fly. Just making this up as we exactly. go. That's, that's the heart of public power. Right, Sarah? That's the heart of public power underground. That's exactly the heart. And this is an exciting project. <laughs> it does. It looks really cool. Uh, I hope I hope it brings the 50 jobs. I hope it helps your community. Nicole, thank you for dropping by. Thank you for being a friend of the underground. Thank you so much for having me. And Nicole, okay. you have to sign up on Substack now, too, because it's required. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's where I started, so I'm probably subscribed on both channels. Nice. Love everything about it. Subscribe Bam. everywhere. Get us all those counts. It's Look great. at that. Okay. So next up, in this week's dispatch from Energy Twitter, the personality behind EV at EV Adoption Tweet, an electric vehicle charging enthusiast and self-described marketing evangelist lauren mcdonald agreed to drop drop by the underground to talk about the importance of level one charging a subject i am in, intensely passionate about hey lauren welcome to public power underground hey thanks for having me paul really excited to talk about your and my favorite topic level one charging yes <laughs> it is so exciting to have another level one charging enthusiast on the show i i i I've been following you on Twitter, looking at your blog, looking at your website. Super excited to talk about level one charging. Yeah, we know there's at least two of us, right? Actually, you and I both know there's a lot of us out there. We just, you know, level one is just not getting the love that it needs, which is why I, I wrote that article that, that I think, you know, probably partially how you discovered me. Yeah. So I, um, I am talking to my peers other, at other electric utilities, trying to get them to think about level one charging. I am an engineer and a philosophy major who's now a power manager. You are a marketing enthusiast and yes. in some ways, you know, a self-described marketing evangelist. So I'm hoping you can help bring some insights and some marketing so we can convince yeah, my exactly. peers at other utilities. Yep. What do you what do you got for us? What do you got for level yeah. one charging? Yeah, so I've got basically five sort of Uber Uber points that I'll walk through. The first is just sort of level setting of of helping people understand that charging an EV is different from refueling a gas car. And I call it I'm working on this this uh this term, Paul, but I'm calling it either distributed refueling or distributed charging. The idea that, you know, with a gas car, 
you, you go to a gas station, right, when you're down to, uh, depending on your personality, a quarter of a tank to on fumes at, at empty. And so basically you drive your car down to its, its at or near empty. You go to a centralized gas station and fill it up to the top. Electric vehicles, and it takes you, you and I both know this, that, that it takes a while for electric vehicle owners to, to understand this, that the way you refuel an electric vehicle is, is through a decentralized approach where basically wherever the car sits. So I, I have this tagline that I use that EV parking equals EV charging. So that wherever a car sits, you plug it in and, and charge it. And so, you know, most of that, as we know, is, is, is at home, but it's this idea of distributed wherever you're going, the shopping mall, movie, workplace, at home, uh, at a resort, a winery, like it doesn't matter, like you just, you plug in. And so that's sort of this first idea is that EV, EV charging is just is just different. You do it wherever it sits. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so like I'm trying to work through my mental model of like, is this gonna be like my phone? Like I charge my phone every night. And some of that was because in early cell phones, they were terrible and you had to charge them every few hours. Um, yeah. And in other ways, it's just, it's part of a routine. And electric vehicle charging is gonna just become part of a routine where there's charging available. And this new distributed charging, I like I like where you're yeah, going yeah, with this, yeah. is part of a new routine. And how, how chargers are deployed are gonna set your routine is my thesis. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and we, could, we could talk for hours about, you know, people that live in a single family home versus who live in a apartment and condo. And if we have time, we'll get into that a little bit. And I will from a cost structure, but, but basically, yeah, you, you drive home, you open the garage, you pull in, you plug in the car and it just becomes sec second nature. But um, so let's, let's go on to the, the second one that sort of is, is the second part that sort of underscores this distributed idea, which is the, the combo of dwell time and VMT. The, the EV industry loves to use acronyms, but vehicle miles traveled, right? Okay. And, you know, so most people, right, and whether most people is 80% of the country or 70% or 90%, it doesn't matter. But but most people drive, you know, probably less than 40 miles today. If you live here where I do in Northern California and Silicon Valley, you might have a 40 mile each way commute, which I used to have and stuff. But, but most people drive, you know, typically, let's say, you know, 40 miles a day, the average VMT, according to various government statistics is about 30 miles. But so basically, I'd interject one thing. The, yeah. the U.S. Census Bureau has really good data on this that I've been yes, trying yeah. to get my peers to look at for their own charging programs yeah. to know, hey, this is for your own community. They can give you your average commute to and from your service territory. And, and actually, yeah, and, and I've, I've befriended somebody at a, at a similar utility to you guys down here in the Bay Area that uh, down on the peninsula that has detailed like on their actual residence and it's like 36, I'm making it up, but it's like 36 miles in their exact like county and cities and stuff. So you can yeah. you can get that that data. Again, it doesn't work for everybody, but we're not trying to solve the world's problems here. We're trying to solve a majority of EV drivers home. So, so, but so what that means though, as we started with the first point is that means that your car is sitting probably 22 to 23 hours a day, which means at somewhere between three and a half to five, six, seven 
miles you can add per hour with level one charging, depending on your sort of setup and stuff, you, you, can, you can replenish that 40 miles or more just by plugging in overnight. And if your car sits like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., that's 12 hours, you, you know, if you're at the higher end, you could get, you know, 50, 60, 70 miles. So that, that's sort of point two. Yes, dwell time. The yeah. dwell time for where you're parked and how long you're parked. Incredibly yeah. important to remember that. Yeah. You don't yeah. drive every day, all day, yeah. all yeah. day every day. No, you you don't. Um, and the third part we've we've kind of touched on it, which is replenishment, which is sort of what we talked about at the beginning, is that that core to electric vehicles is, is you don't drive it down to zero unless you're on a road trip, right? Then you drive it down to a little bit under 20% or whatever and pull into DC fast charger. When you're driving around where you live, right? Like we said, you 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 drive it to work, you drive it to the store, you you know go out to movie, dinner, whatever it is. And when, when you come back, if you use 22 miles, you plug it in, you replenish that 22 miles. If you drove 67 miles, you plug it in, and you you know with level one, you may or may not be able to replenish that entire amount. But you can by the next day, right? Because your car probably has 250 to 300 miles of range, right? So you still have plenty of miles. So you can, you can pick that up if you don't, you know, replenish it uh, entirely in that one day. The fourth point is, is, is one of really the biggest ones, which is cost and power requirements. So one of the, you know, what we've talked about so far is, is, is that this is really easy for people that live in a single family home. They control their charging environment. They're, depending on what data you believe and who you talk to, you know, we're probably somewhere 35 to 40% of households in the U.S. live in a multifamily setting, right? Or okay. a setting where they don't control sort of their charging. They, they, they might not have a garage or something, um, but, but, but mostly we're talking about people that live in apartments and condos. And so they're at the behest of the apartment or, or condo owners. Right. What people don't understand is EV charging deployment is very expensive. So even level two can be very, very expensive. It can add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars if you install multiple level two chargers. And the problem is, particularly in the multifamily space, is the majority of the apartments in this country are older. They were built in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and they do not have the, the power infrastructure and the panels to support multiple 240 level two chargers, right? right. So it, it costs, you have to go to your utility off and have them pull additional power to your building. You have to hire an electrician to upgrade the panels and add more conduit in the wiring. And there's still some of that you have to do with level one. You've got to pull the, you know, the conduit for the outlets and things like that. But typically the math works out to at an apartment complex, you can install three times as many level one uh, for half the cost, right? And so if you're an apartment owner and you're looking at, do I fix the cracks in the sidewalk or install new carpet or or add some level two chargers, right? Uh, for the tenants that I don't even know if they're gonna use it and I have to manage it and stuff. So, you know, level one just becomes sort of a more cost-effective solution for them. 
And I want to highlight one other yeah. thing, because so, you are talking about the installation costs. Yeah. Um, but yeah. from the utility perspective, there's also the demand risk, right. which is, you know, one of the, the concerns amongst, you know, utilities that get a lot of EV adoption is the demand risk that could, you know, add to your peaks. And yeah. you can get like six times the amount of level one outlets to, for the same demand as a level two. It's like yeah. 1.4 kilowatts for a level one. It's like seven to eight for a level two. So you can install six of these and get six EVs charging, distribute that energy across more efficiently across your yep. entire usage pattern, and it's better for peaks. Uh, and then also it's a lower cost for the end user, um, yep. which yep. is why this is one of the topics that I try to hammer home with my utility friends, that this is a way to mitigate risk at low cost. Yeah. And just again, you know, we're talking about, you know, people think they have this public right that apartment owners should just automatically install chargers for them. And it's like apartment owners are like, I'm not a gas station. I'm not a refueling station. You know, so if you're asking me to cut a check, like I'm going to try to be as smart and efficient about it as, as possible. But and I know we're running short on time. So the last thing is just one of my favorite, which is math. Plug in hybrids. Right. So currently out of the little over two million EVs on the road in America today, 37 percent of them, nearly one out of nearly four out of 10 are plug-in hybrids. Most plug-in hybrids have a range of from 20 to 50 miles. Most of them are now in the sort of the 25 to 35 range. Uh, Paul, guess what? Level one is perfect for that, right? If you only need to replenish yeah. 25 to 40 to 50 miles a day, level one is, is ideal for that, right? Like we've said, ad nauseum today just you know plug in and you know it's going to be full literally literally every every morning when you wake up right now just you know the the one caveat to that is obviously bevs full battery electric vehicles are the clear clear future but even probably by the end of this decade we're still looking at you know 20 to 25 percent of the evs on the road will be plug-in hybrids. so if we're looking at one out of four one out of five that's a big number, right? Yeah. So level one still plays a role. Yeah, absolutely. I am a huge advocate for this for electric utilities. I think electric utilities should think of this as a line extension for a home and you just get a bunch of energy usage once it's adopted across level one outlets. Um, it's way more efficient than a lot of home energy usage. Uh, tag a, a single level two charger and eight level one outlets uh, yep. and you get a great combination that's got a lot of usage, a, a lot of uh, flexibility for the, any customers that come and park in a parking lot, parking garage, commuters, schools, big fan of schools, yeah, put the outlets yeah. at schools. Yeah. I mean, just in that, and that's, you know, sort of key, like the, there are so many different use cases, right? Like um, I drive, I'm down here in the Bay area. And, and if I drive to the, to the BART train station, it's, it's about 15 miles from me. Wouldn't it be great, right? Like if I just park there and if I'm commuting into the city for work, so it's like a nine hour commute, there was like a hundred or hundreds of level one, you know, 120 smart outlets that you just pull in, plug in, you come back at, you know, at night and you've, you've replenished the miles that you use to commute to the, to the train station. I mean, how many people in this country do something like that every day or go to school or go to the workplace, right? It's, and it's it can just, also, 
If yeah. you're doing things like that, can solve the, solve this problem for people that don't have a garage at home. They can do this during the day. They can get you know the 50 miles yeah. of range while sitting you know at the parking for the BART uh, yeah. all day, yeah. and then they yeah. have it to get back to the next day. It's a solution um, for for people that, that don't have the garage. So it, it, I, I'm I thank you for being helping yeah. me. Uh, help, yeah. Thank yeah. you for being an evangelist yeah. of level and one just, charging. And just you know, and to be clear, and and uh, hopefully your your listeners know this, but you know, we're not saying this, this is like to, to use the political phrase and all of the above strategy, Absolutely. Right? We, like we fundamentally have to have the fastest DC fast chargers we can have when people go on those road trips and they're impatient yep. and they want to, you know, charge and get back on the road. We need lots of level two, but as you and I both know, Paul, level one just isn't getting the love and it is the single best, most cost-effective way to you know, basically get, you know, EV charging ever. Cause by the way, the, almost, almost every building on the planet has some, some, some regular outlets, right. That, that can be used. So yep, absolutely. So the, thank you for coming. I found you yep. on energy Twitter. Um, I'm hoping you can tell people where else to find you so that they can come reach out and get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. Easiest way is uh, evadoption.com, just kind of like it sounds, evadoption, all one word. Um, I also have a, a newsletter there so they can sign up for newsletter. And on Twitter, I'm at uh, evadoption tweet. Yep. So thank you very much. Please. Thanks for having uh, me. I that hope, was fun. Yep. I hope you can consider yourself a friend of the underground now. Uh, I do. And please, uh, uh, I'm going to have you back to talk about more vehicle to grid, all the things. These are great topics. So thank yep. you very yep. much. Great. Thanks for having me. Now back to the underground for news. What a great conversation. Hopefully the message that level one charging is a cost effective public charging solution at workplaces and schools is starting to sink in because it is something I am passionate about. I say it all the time. Sometimes people listen to me. Sometimes people don't listen to me. I respect both people that listen to me and don't listen to me. Maybe sometimes I respect people that don't listen to me just a tidge more than people that do listen to me because there is some like self-deprecating things in there. Like I need to work on my own self-confidence, but we're working through it, right? We're working through it. Uh, so thank you. We're for working that. through a lot today. We're working through a lot today. Give me a typewriter. What we got next, Sarah? All right. Joining the underground live at the Benson is the underground's own special hydropower's carbon-free correspondent, a best friend of the underground, and executive director of Northwest River Partners, Kurt Miller. Hi, Kurt. Welcome back to Public Power Underground. Uh, Kurt, I could not be happier to see you. I could, this is such joy filling in my heart. I, I really appreciate that. It's so great to get to be with you guys today. And there's like all this excitement in the room. And I, uh, the only thing that was hard is I couldn't recognize anybody because of the mask. But it's been awesome other than that. And I really feel honored to get to be here tonight. That is why we have name tags, Kurt. That's why we have name tags so you recognize. <laughs> and, you know, for those of us that this is our first Nick, it's just nice to have name tags because I wouldn't know anyone anyway, right? I know. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that's great. So are we ready so for, my, are we ready for my, my lead? I'm ready. You know what to do, Kurt. Take it away. I, I do know what to do. I'm excited. So um, recent headlines in the news that three different Southern resident orcas are pregnant. All three are females, and they're part of 
I shouldn't say and. All three females are a part of the J-Pod family. For those of you keeping track at home, the expected mother orcas are J-19, J-36, and J-37, as they're affectionately known. No word yet on the proud father or fathers, however. The Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is reminding boaters to be whale-wise at this delicate time. Boaters should keep at least 300 miles away from whales and reducing their speed to seven knots when they're one-half nautical mile away. Now, I'm not a boater, so I don't know what any of that means, but I'm, 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 I'm hoping that people have taken boating safety and it has meaning to them. While many other, uh, other orca populations around the world have been thriving, the southern residents have struggled to nourish themselves, feeding primarily on a diet of Chinook salmon from the Fraser River and Puget Sound. Many of these salmon populations are listed as threatened and endangered, however. What has been more surprising to me as an orca novice is learning the role that vessel traffic noise plays in the ability of orcas to feed themselves. They use a type of sonar feedback to hunt, so it's a situation where if there are many vessels, like in the Puget Sound, it may be impossible for them to track prey. Even, to, even a switch to electric motors, I'm told, may not be helpful because the primary issue is the sound caused by propellers. It's definitely a humbling reminder of the small and large ways we can make a difference in our environment. We found this article through our subscription to NWPPA's own excellent Energy News Digest, published by a super friend of the underground, Joel Meyer. To learn more, you can read about the article by Helena Wagner at the News Tribune. Outstanding, Kurt. Isn't Joel the best? Joel is the best, and he's here tonight. I can't even believe it. That's such an honor to get to be in his retired presence. He is. We brought him back to the NIC to help us do a couple different uh, sessions at the NIC. That's awesome. Anyway, this is my first NIC. You never forget your first one. And, uh, <laughs> Me too. Me too, Kurt. Where's our I know. first Nick together? I know. I know. That's awesome. It feels really fitting to me. And again, I always love coming to the underground. So thank you very much, Sarah and Paul. It's great to be here. Okay, Kurt. I have a special surprise. Yes. The bell is here. Oh, shut up. Oh, shut up. The bell is here. And you are the newest the national championship for the best friend of the underground because you keep coming back. Take the belt. Pass the belt, Sarah. Pass the belt. The belt. All I can say is, as a long-time fan of Portland wrestling, um, I've always dreamed of having the belt draped across me like this. I am truly honored, and uh, this is going to go down next to my marriage and the birth of my daughter as my uh, one of my three happiest memories. Thank you guys so, so much. It, it means so much to us. You came up with this idea. At least it was us together making funny jokes that came up with this idea. I'm so glad you get to be an Adramus champion. And join the Anadromous <laughs> Championship Circle uh, right. with the famous Karenheim, the Jamie Tart of Public Power. Can you drop a Jamie Tart thank you, thank quote you. real quick, Karen, just to, so we all know where we're at in this. Do we have Jamie Tart? And of course we have Jamie Tart. I mean, it's a very, he's a very healthy person. I know, person. Dude, we have so many He's a very ones. healthy person. And I know. he has a very healthy self-conscious. Coach, I'm me. Why would I want to be anyone exactly. else? Exactly, why would you want to be anyone else? So congratulations. <laughs>
Congratulations, Kurt. Thank you so much. Thank you so again. much again. Honored. Truly honored. Thank you very much, Underground. I'm going to be loyal forever. Yes. <laughs> and please, the only stipulation, I think you need to wear it around the whole conference. I mean, yeah, I think it's just needs to happen. Yes. I think you just need to... Yeah. Like from now until. There yeah. should be so many pictures of you at this conference. Oh my gosh. With the bell, especially at right. this happy hour. <laughs> That's so awesome. Congratulations. That's amazing. So I'm awesome. showing everybody right now. Thank you guys so much. God bless, okay. you. God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Okay, give me a typewriter out of public power desktop, Karen. That's all the updates we have from the annual from from uh, the Nick this year. Send us any news, questions, opinions, or corrections to me at a power manager on Twitter. Or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Um, I'm very happy. This was this was a great episode. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me, being a great co-host live. And I'm so honored to be here. It's been so much fun. It is. Uh, we try to make it fun. We try to make it also entertaining or also informative. I mean, it's infotainment after all. Karen, thank you for what you do. I was going to say, it's both. Thank you're welcome thank you so much. I'm so glad I got asked back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you are you are the star of Public Power Underground. Co-star. I mean, I am one of yeah, the. One, I mean, one of yeah, the. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Aaron. Aaron Gillery <laughs> is a high bar. Ian Bledsoe. And you know what? Let's yeah. just be honest. Luigi Jaline is a rising star at Public Power Underground. I see it. Okay. I see it. Okay. <laughs> we expect. In actually, I'm not. We don't expect. I'm just going to go for it. In breaking news, do you have a breaking news banner or maybe like a, maybe just give me the Aaron Reports noise, like a good, good sound audio signal that this is breaking news. We're so happy to announce that Public Power Underground is teaming up with news data. This is not, this is real. We're teaming up with news data. Future episodes will be a production of Klatskin IPUD and news data, which also means Klatskin IPUD has agreed to claim Public Power Underground. We're no longer like just a thing that I, I brand as the power department. Sarah, thank you for accepting us. Of course. You, you add so much to our communications. And, and let's just be clear. I add communications to my counterparts at other utilities. We don't trust Paul to talk to our own customers. It's just not, that's the skill set for a communication specialist like Sarah. I am good at communicating with geeky electric utility enthusiasts. It's my skill set, right, Sarah? We, this is my skill set. I know my strengths. Yes, and it's an awesome skill set to have. Okay, even after the collaboration kicks off, you'll still be able to find us on YouTube, Substack, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify by searching for Public Power Underground. So all those people we've been encouraging to smash those subscribe buttons and all those people that have, it is not a waste of effort. You'll still be able to find us there. So keep doing it. Please also leave this a quick note. Okay, so if you go and you search for Public Power Underground, which we're going to do, if you come to the Nick on Wednesday for my talk, we're all going to search for Public Power on their podcast app. Right now, Public Power Underground is the number two podcast app when you search for Public Power. And you know what we want to do? We want to beat APPA. Love the people. Public Power Now, great podcast. You know what? We're a little egotistical here. We want to be number one. So help us get to number one. You give us a five-star. You write a little note. You just say, hey, you know who's great? Karen Heim is great. Jamie Tart of Public Power. You know who else is great? Sarah Johnson's great. The star of Classic IPUD. You know who else is great? Aaron Guillory. And you know who we want to see more of? Luigi Jelin. So please hit those notes. We want to beat them because we do have a little bit of a competitiveness in us, right? 
And by the end of the night, we have now taken this on as a challenge. We are going to be number one by the end of this week. Yes, I'd love that energy, Sarah. Ooh, I, I want to see energy. it. Yes. And this is, this is, you know, it is a happy hour. Hey, Carrie, Great. get the drinks are on me. Drinks are on me. Did I miss one, or did we? Did, we, did I cut it? You cut did it. I really cut well, it? Apparently, you cut it. Oh no! Yeah, you were no. gonna pause so we could play the video. Yeah, no, no. Can we? You wanted to play the "It's the Effort" video? Oh uh, yeah, we're actually. I'm gonna put that in a post. We're gonna edit this out. I'll put that in a post. Yeah, you were gonna edit. Yeah, you were gonna edit it in anyway. Okay. That's all for today. started in hard times to bring us all in into the laughter through thick and through thin for public power enthusiasts without and within roll on enthusiasts roll on public power roll underground live from the benson is an infotainment about public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective it's written edited and produced by the power department and friends of the power department the views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Platts and ipud ppc nor the organizations of our guests appearing on public power underground live from the benson no host cohorts or guests appearing on public power underground live from the benson generate any ad revenue from the episodes make me sarah paul and all our guests feel better about our participation in this week's episode by sending them a note text or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you appreciated it do it for us do it for them and do it to make other people feel value and appreciate Valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground. It's work to watch. The subject of public power news. Roll on, enthusiasts. Roll on.